0: Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Stand out of love and respect for the Word of God, and we shall begin to read in verse number 1 of Ezra chapter 9. Now, when these things were done, and by the way, to get the understanding and context of the passage we're going to read tonight, you need to go back and read chapter 6, 7, and 8 at least to bring it all together and get the context. And when these things were done, "'The princes came to me, saying, "'The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites "'have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, "'doing according to their abominations, "'even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, "'the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, "'the Egyptians, and the Amorites. "'For they have taken of their daughters for themselves "'and for their sons,' so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of these of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers had been chief in this transgress. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and I sat down astonished. And then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. By the way, how long's it been since you've trembled at the words of the God of Israel? Because of the transgressions of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness. And having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands before the Lord my God and said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head. And our trespasses is grown up under the heavens. How long has it been since you personally have blushed at sin and iniquity? Since the days of our fathers have we been in great trespass unto this day. For our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered unto the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity and to to a spoil and to confusion of face as it is this day. God allows us to listen in on a prayer coming from the lips of a broken-hearted man named Ezra. And now, for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may uh, lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolation thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. We'll leave off reading there, and I want to speak to you tonight on this subject, God's plan to save a nation, a church, or a family. God's plan to save a nation, a church, or a family. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God leaving, uh, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Father, I need your help tonight. I, I want to be a blessing to these people, and I want to honor you and your word. And I know that I do not have the ability or the intellect to do that in my own energy. So I'm asking you tonight, Father, to fill me with thy Holy Spirit, clear up the the shadows of my mind, fill in the blanks in my thoughts, and help me to say those things that you would have me to say as your servant and as your voice. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for what it means to our life. Thank you for how it's changed our direction and our thinking. Thank you that it's made it possible for us to know the Savior, and by knowing the Savior, we can have fellowship with you, and we can walk in the Holy Spirit's power and leadership. Thank you that because of the Word of God, we know how to have a New Testament church and what's right to believe and what we ought not believe. And thank you that the Word of God tells us how to get right when we're wrong and how to stay right and how to honor you in all that we do. Help me tonight to make clear this message and may you use it to stir our hearts and our lives and draw us closer to you and use the people of this church to see revival in their own lives, their own families, and in their church and be part of the answer of saving our nation. It's getting closer and closer to socialism and communism and going further and further away from you. And I ask for your intervention tonight in this service. Thank you for all of the souls that were saved today and all of the hard work of the people of this church. And thank you, Father, there are some that did not get saved that heard the message and they're going to be under conviction in days ahead And they're going to call a friend or call a church member or call a pastor and ask for help. May you continue to do your work and bless the efforts of these many people on this special day. Thank you for what you shall do tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. At the writing of this passage, Israel had been in captivity for many years. In order to understand the message tonight, it's important that we be acquainted with seven important people connected with the message. First of all, there's the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the king that God raised up to bring judgment on his sinning people, his backslidden people. You do know the the captivity did not come about because Babylon was stronger than God or God's people. God raised them up for the purpose of bringing judgment on Israel because they had turned away from God to idolatry. And God judged them and had them taken into captivity for many years. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon when Israel was taken into captivity. And then there was a man named Cyrus. Cyrus was a Medo-Persian king that conquered Babylon. And then the third man's name was Darius. Darius was vice-regent. And uh, he also was a Persian, and he authorized the completion of the temple under Zerubbabel. Then there was another king named Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes authorized Nehemiah to return to Israel to rebuild the walls around the city. Then there is the man named Zerubbabel. In 536, Zerubbabel was chosen by God to take a little remnant of people back from captivity to Israel for the purpose of rebuilding the temple that had been torn down when Babylon had overrun Jerusalem. And then there was the man named Ezra. Ezra in 457 B.C. took another small remnant back to Israel for the purpose of setting up Bible worship in the temple and instituting the sacrifices as set down by God for His people. And then finally in 444 B.C., a man named Nehemiah. All of these were Jews. These three, Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah were Jews that had been taken into captivity. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. And God raised him up to take another remnant back to Israel to rebuild the walls around the city, the walls that had been torn down a small remnant of Jews under Zerubbabel and Nehemiah had been allowed to return from captivity for the purpose of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls. Now, with a letter from Artaxerxes, it is the ministry of Ezra to restore worship and the keeping of the Word of God there in Jerusalem. Back in Babylon, Darius had required that a search be made of the things that Nebuchadnezzar and his armies had brought from Jerusalem when they took the people in captivity and ransacked the temple. The search revealed the scrolls containing the decree of Cyrus that the house of God in Jerusalem was to be built and the worship and sacrifices by the people of God were to be allowed to resume. They began to go back, and the remnants that went back to do the various works had not been long until they began to practice some of the same sins that got them in trouble to begin with. And when Ezra got there, Ezra had to deal with it, to bring the people back to God. Ezra's task was the task of saving his nation. In this story, we're given a plan from God for saving his nation. Its principles are true even today. Principles do not change whether they're Old Testament principles or New Testament principles. And I want us to take note tonight that the work of God in rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls and restoring God-honoring worship in Jerusalem and in Israel was not the work of the masses. The great masses were still in captivity in Babylon. The work of rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall and reestablishing worship was done by a remnant of faithful people. May I say to you, the work of seeing a great church built is not the work of a man or or uh, a few pastors, it's the work of a remnant of people who are committed to God, faithful to God, to be used of God. I wish wish to God, I could tell you that every member of the church is faithful in serving and, and building and Winning people and bringing people into the house of God, but the truth is it's done by remnant a remnant. the same remnant that does the work is the primary group that provides the tithes tithes and offerings also for the ministry of the church. Thank God for faithful pastors. but if churches are going to be what they ought to be, there's got to be a group of men and women and young men and young ladies that rise up and yield themselves to God and join hands with the preacher to do the work of the ministry. It's every one of our responsibility. The work of saving a nation or saving a city, saving God's people was put in the hands of a remnant. And even so today, God uses remnants of people to bless the masses. Why was it so important to God for the temple to be rebuilt? Why was it so important to God for the walls to be rebuilt? See, God intended from the very beginning that our lives revolve around worship to one true God. The temple was the place where God had put His name and in the Old Testament required the people to come and worship and offer sacrifices. Every male child in Israel had to come up to Jerusalem uh, three times every year. In fact, God required every family to set aside 23 and a third percent of their income in tithes and offerings, 23 and a third percent. I hear people say, well, bless God. I'm not under the law twenty three and a third percent I don't believe in tithing twenty three and a third percent the first tithe was to be was to provide the tribe of Levite with their income. That was their inheritance, a tenth of the gross national product in Israel. Another tithe was set aside to furnish the sacrifices required every year when the men had to go up to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. You read about the sacrifices that had to be offered. Serving God wasn't cheap. And then three and a third percent a year, or every three years a tithe, set aside to take care of widows and the needy. Twenty-three and a third percent. And you complain about ten percent? I I, I wouldn't sit there and let somebody under law do more than me under grace. Just thought I'd say that. <laughs> but the temple was the place where God put His name. And it was the place where they were to, to bring their sacrifices and offer their offerings. God intended for our families and our lives to be built around God's house and worship. In the New Testament, God's put His name on the church so says so in paul's writing to timothy said if I, I tarry long that thou might knowest how to behave thyself in the house of god the church of the living god sounds like god had put his name on the church the local church it's the storehouse it's the place where we're to come to worship him and our lives ought to be ought to revolve around worship and serving God and learning and growing and winning souls and training people and sending out missionaries around the world. Our jobs ought not to be the main focus of our life. Our jobs and our career is necessary to finance us while we serve God and worship God and minister and grow and learn as Christians then the walls are important because the walls protected them from the enemy. The walls are a picture of standards and separation. They're not there in our churches because your preacher's mean. They're put there for, by God for us to live by certain standards to separate us from the world for our protection. I've got to get to my message. Now, for a little while tonight, I want you to consider four things in God's plan to save a nation, a church, or a family. And I want you to know, though you have a great church, your church is one generation from liberalism and modernism. One generation. Don't you take your church for granted today. A year from now? Two years from now? If everything failed just right, you you wake up one morning and say, What happened? What happened? You better make sure you understand that Satan's got his crosshairs on you. On you. Four things in God's plan to save a nation, to save a church, to save a family. Notice, first of all, in verse number 8, God gave a little space of grace. A little space grace was given to them. Now, in the midst of their captivity, listen to this, what a God we serve. In the midst of their captivity, God raised up another pagan king to overthrow the pagan king that took them into captivity. It was the Persian king that overthrew the Babylonian king, and this Persian king showed favor to some of God's people. And here in the midst of their captivity, God allowed Zerubbabel and a little remnant of people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And then in the midst of their captivity, this pagan king allowed Nehemiah to go back with another remnant to rebuild the walls. And in the midst of this captivity, this pagan king allowed Ezra to go back and reestablish Bible God-honoring worship In this temple, a pagan king did it and to a great extent financed it. God showed a little space of grace. A little space of grace was shown unto them. That's God's way of working. This is not new. God said to Noah, Noah, I'm going to build an ark. I want you to build an ark. I'm going to judge this wicked country, this wicked world. Noah said, what's an ark? God gave him instructions for building this boat, this ark. And Noah worked on that ark for 120 years and preached righteousness. Had no converts. None. None. Well, the Bible, the Bible says those people were wicked. The imagination of their mind was continually wicked and evil all the day long. They ignored the preaching of the man of God. They ignored the invitations. They went on their sin. They laughed. They mocked. And finally, one day, God says, Noah, it's time to get in the ark. The only converts was Noah's family, his three sons and their wives and Noah's wife. And those eight souls got into the ark at God's command. Then God waited seven more days before He closed the door. You know what those seven more days were? A little space of grace. One last verse of invitation. One more opportunity. And you know the story, they ignored it. And God said, that's it. Close the door and it began to rain and the waters began to come up and every living soul on the earth died except those eight in the ark. But God gave them a little space of grace though they ignored it. Remember old Jonah, that backslidden Baptist preacher? He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach to them, and here's what I want you to preach. I want you to tell them that I'm going to give them 40 days. And if they don't get right in 40 days, I'm going to destroy their city. I'm going to send judgment upon them. You know what those 40 days were? A little space of grace. And the Bible says the greatest revival that's ever taken place took place. Every person from the governor down to the least person that had understanding got saved, got right with God, and God spared Nineveh. They took advantage of that little space of grace. Here in the United States of America, we're as near to losing our country as we have ever been. I believe that we have the president. We have because God allowed it. He gave us what we deserved, not what we needed. We have voted our pocketbook instead of principle so long, I think God's fed up with it. I don't know how much more time we've got as a nation, but I believe the time we're in right now is a little space of grace a little space of grace. What are you going to do with it? Hey, let me give you a thought or two. If you know anything about prophecy, where is America in Bible prophecy? I I can't find America in future prophecy unless that eagle that delivers Israel is a bald eagle. I don't find her there. You do know... You do know before the Antichrist can come to power and set up his one-world government and his one-world monetary system, the dollar's got to be destroyed. It's got to cease to be, and our government will cease. How far off are we from that? I believe what time we have now where Bible preachers can stand up and preach Bible truth is just a small period of time. I look at these young people and these young ladies and men in college and wonder if they'll ever be able to practice their career, their calling in the future. Time may be so short. I don't know how how, how, how big a uh, long uh, little space of grace is for us. I don't know. Seven days? Forty days? A year? This revival? I, I don't know. But I know there's coming a time when God says, that's it. That's it. God gave a little space of grace. I believe we only have a little space of grace left to save our nation, to save our worship, to save our belief system as set forth by God Himself in the church He established. Our worship as set forth in Scripture is being changed year by year until it hardly resembles at all what our Lord established for His churches. Where is the Christianity of the Bible? It's hard to find in churches I've preached in over the last couple of years. I don't find people are interested today in getting back to the old book. I I find preachers are talking about transitioning. I want to transition to this new form of worship, to the praise and work, the contemporary Fully on the contemporary, older I get, the more I like old things. And I'm glad my wife does too. I teach our kids over and over and over again, quit looking for new things. There's nothing new under the sun. Somebody very wise said that. If it's new, it's not true. When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to doctrine... If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. The Bible is not in a state of evolving. God established His Word. He had it written down. He settled it in heaven. He preserved it for us. And Now then, we have a bunch of so-called Christians and preachers today that are looking for ways to change it. They want to be user friendly. I want to be God friendly. I'm not interested in coming to church to be entertained. I do want to come to church and worship God and honor Him and hear the Word of God preached in simple and powerful terms so that sinners can be saved and lives can be transformed. How long will we have that opportunity? Cities more and more becoming secular and atheistic and at best are tolerating our existence. We walk around and think we're Christians and they ought to just bow down and think we're wonderful. They'd rather somebody that paid taxes establish a business here. Hey, Jesus said, they hated me and they're going to hate you. If you live like me, Jesus, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. God said that in His Word and established in His Word. He set forth a little space of grace. Our ministry as set forth in Scripture by our Lord and His apostles resemble little what is being done in churches today. Personal witnessing and soul winning is almost non-existent in most churches and among most Christians. World missions has degenerated to every form of parachurch organization known to man with little emphasis on winning the lost, baptizing converts and establishing local churches where they can teach and train and disciple their members. They can teach them to worship God and to serve God according to His Word. I believe God has given us a little space of grace. He's given us an opportunity to return to Him in repentance and faith. Faith in His Word! That's got to happen if we're going to save our nation and save our churches and save our families. You say, Preacher, I, I'm, I'm concerned is some foreign country going to come in. Hey, our churches are not being destroyed by foreign countries. They're being destroyed by people from within. Used to, Satan used to attack our churches. Now then, he's joining them. Our churches aren't getting liberal because of the outf- uh, influence of the world outside. Our churches are getting liberal because our people are bringing in liberalism and making changes. And pastors are being influenced more by the world than pastors are influencing the world. God's given us a little space of grace. Hey, God's been giving us warning after warning. Earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. Fires, floods, droughts. You know what I think they are? I think they're God's way of saying, You better listen to me, people. You better listen to me. You're sending away that little space of grace little space of grace. Hey, there's no one else to look to except those of us who still believe in God and the Bible and the Word of God. Make up your mind, it's us or it's not going to be done. You've got to take advantage of that little space of grace and make sure we're thoroughly, thoroughly right with God. How long has it been since you've been thoroughly right with God? Secondly, God not only gave them a little space of grace, He gave them a little nail in a holy place. That's what it says here. Now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and a nail in His holy place. You say, now preacher, what in the world is this nail in a holy place? Well, referred to here is a, tent stake or a nail that was driven in the ground, and a cord was tied to that to hold a covering or a tent in the temple or, or uh, there on the holy mount. That cord is tied to that stake, tent stake or that nail driven in the ground in the holy city Jerusalem and in the holy temple on the holy grounds of the temple mount for they were to worship the holy God according to His holy word. You say, preacher, what is that little nail driven in a holy place? I believe it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God and the doctrines of this Word of God that hold us in place to be what God wants us to be. It's not doctrines I hold. Doctrinal truth holds me. I'm not worried about a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a Pentecostal coming to my door and confusing me. I've got the Word of God to hold me true and to hold me in place. You do believe this Bible is the verbally inspired, inerrant Word of God? The holy place today is the local church where the Bible is to be used to preach and teach and train men and women for the Lord's work. Today our nail in a holy place is to assemble together in His church to worship and live by the doctrines and truths and principles and standards of this holy book. You know, the Bible is an amazing thing. God tells us that it's God-breathed. The Bible tells us that it is settled in heaven. Hey, one of the books God's going to judge us and the lost out of, when the books are opened, I believe, is one of those books is the Word of God. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, In that day there is one that will judge you. My words shall judge you. It sure would be good if we'd hold and read and study and believe the same book God has up there. I believe the Word of God is preserved for us in this King James Bible. I believe it with all my heart. I believe in this book we have the very mind of God, the heart of God, the truth of God, the will of God preserved for us so we'll know how to act and how to serve and how to live, how to worship according to His holy book. Oh, my dear friend, government's not that holy place. Neither secular education that holy place. It's His church and His word that must anchor us and hold us in stormy days and tough times. Every time you choose to miss church willfully without an honest to God reason, I believe you're voting to give up our nation, to give up our churches, to give up our families, to give them over to the world and the devil. I believe every time we choose to violate one of God's principles or God's standards, we're voting to give up our nation and give up our churches and give up our families over to the devil. He's given us a little space of grace and He's given us a little nail Driven in a Holy Place, this book. Is this book precious to you? Is this church precious to you? Does your life revolve around serving God through His church, by His book? God's given us a little space of grace and a little nail in a holy place. And thirdly, God's plan is to use a faithful, yielded, remnant, a faithful, yielded remnant. It was not the majority of Israel that rebuilt the walls or the temple or reestablished worship. It was that small remnant of God's willing people. It's not the majority of Christians or members that do the work of the ministry in the church. It's a remnant of members. And it's sad to say, and I'll say it again, it's true the same remnant is usually those, the majority of those that give their tithes and their offerings. The future of this church is in the hands of a remnant. And it better be a Bible believing spirit filled remnant who are committed to God and to Bible and to Baptist doctrines and Bible standards of worship and Christian living. We're going to follow the Bible pattern. If not, it's lost. It's lost. And the fourth thing I see in God's plan to save a nation, a church, or a family, he says in a little reviving in this dark time. A little reviving in this dark time. The hotel I'm in, the Wyndham, has a restaurant called Reviving. Reviving. I wonder if they know what it means. Something cannot be revived until it's been-vived. <laughs> to revive means to make alive again. If you're going to revive something, they've got to have life in them to begin with. If you're going to have revival, you've got to be born again. If you've never been born again, it's not reviving you need, it's salvation you need. Amen. It's accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, you listen to me. Every one of us, if we're not careful, will find ourselves influenced by the world and the devil and, and the flesh around us, even our own flesh. Even the greatest Christian that ever lived said, There dwelleth in me no good thing. It's talking about this flesh. Every day we have to battle with the pull of the world. This flesh does not lean toward God. It's the spirit in man that leans toward God, the spirit that was made alive, born again when we were saved. Up until then, we were dead in trespassing sin. You say, but preacher, I got saved. Good. Your spirit has been made alive again. But this flesh hadn't caught up with it. You know that your flesh is not saved. It's not. You say, well, when is it going to be saved? When Jesus comes and we're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We get that new body, a glorified body. But every day till then... We're going to battle with this flesh and we're going to battle against the pull of the world. And every day, the devil's going to work on our mind trying to get us to think something and do something that we ought not do. That's the reason Paul said we're to die daily. We're to crucify the flesh. We're to keep this flesh under subjection. every time the flesh begins to boast, knock it back down, Paul said. Keep it under subjection. I'm telling you, every time I think I've won the victory, I go to bed at night and during the night while I'm asleep, the devil breathes CPR into the flesh and I wake up the next morning and start battling again. That's the reason we need this time of reviving. We live in a wicked world, a corrupt world. Watching the news and the fires that are in, around Possum Kingdom and around uh, just north of you folks. Those people are out there walking around looking, and all of them have soot on them and ashes. You know, because it's everywhere. It just clings to the flesh. You walk through it, you're going to get dirty. You're not going to get clean. And we live in a dirty world, a wicked world, and this flesh is a magnet for sin. And every day we have to battle it, and every day we have to stay in the Word of God, and every day we have to spend time on our knees with God, or we're not going to make it. I look at this good crowd tonight, and... If those who lost their battle with the flesh over the last three and a half years your pastor's been here had not lost their battle with the flesh and were here tonight, this place wouldn't come close to holding. You say, how do you know? This is a good church. Yes, it is. And I pastored a good church. And every day we had to deal with it. Every week we had to deal with it over and over again we'd get the phone call. And it wasn't just our members, our staff, and the pastor, this preacher, had to deal with it every day and stay right and experience this little reviving. Every year I'll go to a couple of meetings that I'm not preaching at just to get preached to because I need it. You say, man, you must be a... Sorry, individual. Yeah, I am. But about like you. About like you. Because what I'm looking at is flesh also. I don't see anyone glorified yet. That's the reason you need to be here every night of the revival meeting. That's the reason you need to be in church every time the doors open. That's the reason you need to sit there with notes and take notes and then go home and review the notes and find out what can I begin to practice that I haven't been practicing that the preacher preached about. A little reviving. I wish I could know tonight that every one of you are going to be back every night during the revival. But some of you won't. Some of you won't because... You're going to lose the battle to the flesh. And some of you can't because you work. How many of you have jobs that will keep you from being here during the meeting? There's nothing you can do about it. The job prevents you from being at the meeting Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night. Would you raise your hand if that's you? I'm not, this isn't a trick. I'm just asking, would you pray for the revival about 7 o'clock? Would you just bow your heads and ask God to bless the singing, bless the preacher, open the hearts of the people to receive the Word of God? How many of you will do that? You'll have a mighty part in the meeting too. And I'll depend on you and your pastor will depend on you. A little time of reviving where we look at our life and make sure we're thoroughly right with God. Now, let me ask you, are you you as right with God as you want to be or are you as right with God as he wants you to be? Four points in God's plan to save a nation, save a church, save a family, a little space of grace, a little nail in a holy place a little remnant of God's faithful people. I don't know about you, but if I'm not in that remnant, I'm going to say, God, I'm going to get in that remnant. God, I want you to know you can count on me, and I want the preacher to know he can count on me. And a little reviving. That's God's plan. Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to clean up? Are you willing to return to the Word of God and the God of the Word? Are we willing to give up those parts of the world that's holding on to us where we can allow God to occupy that place of our life and our heart? What little corners of your heart have you blocked off? God, you can have this and this and this, but this one's mine. This one's mine. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all in your life. Lastly, I want you to consider some things important for this little remnant to know and practice if we're going to save our nation, save our church, save our families. Number one, stay straight in Bible doctrine. Stay straight in Bible doctrine. If I was a person of new converts, a new convert on a desert island. And I never heard a gospel message. I got saved, but I'd never heard a message on doctrine. I'd never listened to a CD or watched a television program of any of these so-called television radio preachers. All I had was the King James Bible. And on this, this desert island, deserted island, All I did was read the Bible and make a list of doctrines that I was going to practice. And I was rescued and I took my list of doctrines that I was going to practice. And I began to look for a church that believed and practiced the doctrines that I found Jesus taught his disciples and his disciples taught to that early church you know what kind of church you'd find? You'd find a Bible-believing Baptist church. I make no apologies about it. It's true. There's only two religions that can be traced back to the 3rd century A.D., and one of them goes all the way back to the time of Christ and the other's a heretic. Those only, The only two religions that can be traced back to the 3rd century A.D., and one back to Christ is Baptist and Catholic. Every religion we know, every Christian so-called religion came from either one or the other. One or the other. Look at history. Stay straight about Bible doctrine. God cannot bless us when we misinterpret God's Word. God's not going to compromise His book if we're not, If we're so ignorant, we don't uh, understand what God's saying to us. You say, well, how am I going to know? Get under a Bible-believing preacher that will preach you and teach you what the Bible believes. Once you've been taught, you can see it in the Scripture. Stay straight about Bible doctrine. God's not going to compromise His Word to bless anybody. He's not going to do it. And a lot of Christians are asking God to ignore His Word and compromise His Word to bless them. What kind of a God do we serve? He's not going to compromise His book for any man. Stay straight about Bible doctrine. If we don't believe right, we can't practice right. Stay straight about Bible doctrine. I'd rather be... You say, Preacher, how about those gray areas? where God gives us liberty. The Bible tells us we're not to use our liberty as a license to sin or a license to please the flesh. Let me tell you a rule that I've always stood on in those areas that are not clear. And I've got to make a decision where I'm going to stand. I'm going to take a stand over here on the conservative side and not the liberal side. The only thing liberal I find in the Bible that God wants us to practice is liberal giving. Stay straight in Bible doctrine. Secondly, stay straight about the Bible itself. This is God's Word. It's settled in heaven. It's inspired and it is preserved for us in the English language in this blessed King James Bible. Every revival that God has ever sent in the English-speaking world came as a result of preaching this King James Bible. You say, what's so different about it and these other Bibles? The text that it came from. All of the new Bibles came from either the Alexandrian text or the, the Sinaiticus text. The Alexandrian text is known for heresy and producing heretics. The Sinaitic text is a Catholic text. You say, but where did our King James Bible come from? It came from a text known as the Textus Receptus. It was found in Syria around Antioch. Now, what's so important about that? Well, there's some important things about that. Number one... Antioch was the first church that Jews and Gentiles met together and worshipped together in. The church at Antioch is the church where believers were first called Christians. The church at Antioch is the place where God called out Paul and bon- or Silas to send them out as the first independent Baptist missionaries to do missionary work. And it was from this area that the text that was used to translate into English the King James Bible. There's a big difference. And by the way, when I have the Bible, I want all of it. The other versions have deleted hundreds of versions uh, of verses. So much so that doctrines have been changed. Teachings have been changed. I I don't want just part of the Word of God. You say, but what about these Bibles? I believe they contain some Bible truth. I don't want some Bible truth. I want the Bible. I want God's Word. Stay straight about the Bible. Thirdly, We must continue to build godly homes. Godly homes. Not just good homes, godly homes. Raise our children for the Lord. Godly homes. Fourthly, stay straight about the local church. The local church. This church is a local, independent, Bible-believing, Baptist church. It's answerable to God. It fellowships with other churches to accomplish accomplish task of sending out missionaries around the world. But this is a local, independent, autonomous, Bible-believing Baptist church. Stay straight about the local church. You need to be a part of a local church. You need to have a membership in the local church. You need to serve God in the local church. You need to give your tithes and offerings to God through your local church. You need to support missionaries through your local church. You need to go soul winning and bring your converts to your local church. Stay straight about the local church. And Fourthly, stay straight about church music. Thank God for the God honoring music we've heard here on this day. I taught our people, when you stand to sing, you're not standing to entertain. As far as your mind is concerned, there will be one person in the congregation you're singing to. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You're singing to please Him and honor Him. Stay straight about church music. It's for the worship of God and not for our entertainment. It's to move our spirit, not our flesh. It's for God and His glory and not for our pleasure. Stay straight about church music. Listen to what I'm about to say. I say it everywhere I go. We tend to listen. We tend to live on the level of the music we listen to. We tend to live on the level of the music we listen to. And then lastly... Stay straight about witnessing and soul winning. Stay straight about your world missions program and carry out the complete Great Commission, not just part of it. Not just to get them saved, but get them baptized and get them into a local church where they can be taught and trained for God. If we're going to save our nation, we've got to stay straight about these areas Bible doctrine. The Bible, godly homes, local church, church music, and witnessing and soul winning and world missions that carry out the complete Great Commission. And let me ask you, and I'm through. Are you a part of that remnant that God can use here in this church? Are you willing to be thoroughly right with God? A little reviving. There's no reviving without honest-to-God repentance and confession of our sin. Are you willing to allow God, according to His Word, to be the final rule of authority in all matters of faith and practice in your Christian life? If our nation is going to get saved, it's not going to be saved because of less Christian involvement, but more Christian involvement. If we get cold and carnal and careless and worldly, we're going to add to the problem, not be a part of the solution. I believe God raised up America for a purpose. There's been a period of time that 98 cents of every missionary dollar given to the world missions program around the world came from Christians and churches in America. That's on the decline. God I believe God raised up the, the America to get the gospel out around the world. And if we're not willing to do that, if God can't trust us with that, what reason do we have ex- to exist? I believe He's given us a little space of grace, a little nail and a holy place, He's looking for a little remnant who will thoroughly get themselves right with God and experience that reviving. I want to be part of them. I want to be one of them. Do you? Father, that's our message tonight. I love America. And all over America today, we're remembering the terrible events of 911 when enemies outside (coughs) attack the very fiber of our country. But those planes flown into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon has not dealt a lethal blow to America like the influx of sin and worldliness and carnality into our churches and to our Christian lives. God, how we need revival, how we need revival, Would you speak to our hearts tonight? And may every man, woman, boy, or girl look into their own heart and ask themselves the question, Lord, am I that person that's right with you? Lord, what do I need to do to get right with you? And then listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as you speak your words to our heart. There's sin that we need to deal with. There's laziness carnality, worldliness. If we're going to be right with God, help us to do that tonight. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one's looking around, while many are already on their face at the altar. I wonder how many of you can say tonight, Preacher, I'm saved and I know it. There's no doubt about it. If I should die right now, I know that I know that I know I'm going to heaven and I'm glad of it. Would you slip your hand up if that's you tonight? All over this building. Thank you. God bless you. Most everybody here could raise their hands. I wonder if there's someone here that did not raise their hand. You couldn't say, I'm saved and I know it. But the one thing you do know is you don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to go to hell, but you couldn't honestly say you're saved tonight. Would you let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't come to you. But I will pray for you that you too can be saved and know it before Jesus comes again. If that's you tonight, would you slip your hand up right now where I can see it? Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved, but I'd like to be saved. I'd like to know heaven's my home. Please pray for me. Would you slip that hand up this this evening? Anyone like that? I wonder if there's someone here that would say... Preacher, God spoke to my heart tonight as a Christian about an area of my life that I need to deal with between me and God. Pray for me. Slip your hand up if that's you. God spoke to my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God spoke to my heart about an area of my life that I need to give attention to. Pray for me when you pray for these others. Now, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus in behalf of these that raise their hand. I wish I could get right for them, but I can't. I can only take care of me and my relationship with you. But I do pray tonight that these men and women that raise their hands would not send away that little space of grace where they have an opportunity to come back to God and Get right with God and allow God to begin to help them through these difficulties in their life. God, help them to come tonight. Help them to settle that by crying out to you. Maybe they need to talk to their preacher. Help them to come tonight. Lord, it may be that someone here tonight needs a church home and this is where they need to be a part of. They need to make this their church home. Help them to come and be a part of this church tonight the way it receives members. And work, work in our hearts your wonderful work of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.